Hey guys, this is Anon Chimpy from Anontech.com. This is the official Anontech podcast. Uh, this is episode four. Um, if you notice, my voice is a little hoarse today. Uh, I actually just flew out to San Francisco uh, and spent the greater part of the evening talking to a whole bunch of really smart folks at AMD. Uh, including this was my first time talking to Andy's Jim Keller. So if you you do remember Jim Keller is the uh, uh, he was the chief architect on K8. Um, he was an architect on uh, K7. Um, more recently, he worked on Apple's A4 and A5 SOCs. Uh, I can't really say anything about the conversation we had other than uh, he's awesome. I, I haven't uh, haven't felt this good about someone at AMD's CPU you know at the head of AMD's CPU group since. Uh, probably since the days of Fred Weber. Um, so very confidence-inspiring, um, which is, is very good to hear. Um, so I had a great conversation with him. At some point, I'm going to try and get him in front of all of you guys so, so we can kind of publicly have a little bit of discussion there. Because um, I think, you know, like I said, he, he convinced me, and, and you know, I, I have faith in, in what him and his team is, are, are going to be able to be uh, do here over the next few years. It's not going to be easy, but um, it's definitely a good hire on, on AMD's part. Uh, anyway, so we have a, a special podcast here for you today. Um, I'm joined by uh, Brian Klug, our uh, senior smartphone editor, um, and he is out of Tucson right now, right, Brian? That's right. Yeah, I'm home for a couple days. <laughs> yeah, so where you were can you? can empathize with this. Yeah. Exactly. So we were both in New York, uh, what, three days ago? That's right. Yeah, last week. That was and, fun. <laughs> um, and then I was home for two days, and then I flew out here for this uh, AMD event um, at the Giants uh, game tonight, um, as well as IDF and the big Apple event, which you are flying out for. That's right. That'll be exciting. So that's um, that's coming up. Yep. Um, and so this is your first Apple event, right? Like this that's is right. Uh, yeah. So all those people who criticize me for being an Apple fanboy, even though that doesn't happen very often, thankfully. That's good. Uh, well, I mean, you're yeah, pretty neutral, it's right? Pretty, like, yeah, it's, that's right. I can't complain. Yeah, but you're this is the first. You I, and the one thing a lot of people don't get. I, I remember when you, um, like, you you've been working on this uh, Nokia PureView 808 thing. You, yeah, you didn't, forever now. You didn't should just, probably finish that. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't just work on the camera, right? Like, you actually became a Symbian user. Yeah, which is easier. Well, uh, it's not easier than it sounds. It's you know, it's pretty difficult. I mean, I put my T-Mobile SIM in there, and a lot of people know that number, and so I, I, I've been using it pretty much all the time. But, but what's your, like, you, you get Symbian now, right? Like, you, you understand it? You could totally use it as a, a, a day-to-day device if necessary? Um, you know, I, I could use it. I don't know if I'd necessarily say that I want to. I mean, okay. there's obviously a lot of friction still there. Um, I think the thing is that when we were working on that, when I was working on that review, and I still am, the thing, the question was, well, do we just review it as a camera and sort of gloss over Symbian? Or, you know, we have to, it's inexplicably a review of the entire device. So really to just gloss over Symbian would, would be terrible, right? Like, yeah. ultimately, that's a grave disservice, both to Nokia and, you know, anybody who's interested in buying the device. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of our policy, I guess, is that we always try to use, you know, use the thing as a phone when you can, right? And that's why I like using the devices with SIM cards, obviously, because I can put my normal SIM in there. But, yeah. yeah, that's a fair characterization. But but I think that's that's an important point, right? Like that you, you really do try to incorporate all of the devices you use, like, into your daily life, right? It, yeah, there's plenty of space in my pocket for, like, 
three or four devices. You know, I <laughs> I switched <laughs> I switched some of my clothing wear around so that I could wear more phones. You know, like so how many I'm phones searching you... for like late nineties sort of like pants and shorts that are cargo shorts. You know, I know yeah. that sounds ridiculous, but you know, there is some level of dedication here to carrying and testing a bunch of things. Like those five eleven tactical shorts are great. They're just magical for carrying like a ton of smartphones, even though they're expensive. Wait, so I don't, I'm not familiar. What what are the five eleven tactical shorts? Oh, they're you know like five eleven is a brand that's like um, it's tactical. You know, it's like for for like uh, I don't know how to describe it. Sort of like firearms enthusiasts. It's tactical clothing. Okay. You know, some of it is like polo shirts. Some of it's like there's just ta- there's tactical shorts. So the, the tactical <laughs> sh- I mean it sort of looks you make sort of makes you look like a police officer. Okay. But um, they're the only ones that I can find anymore with just like huge pockets. Are they you know, comfortable? Like, yeah, they're pretty comfortable. Yeah, they're a little bit, you know, they're just really well built. Honestly, that's the big thing. Hiking, outdoors. Um, obviously, if you carry a firearm, they're just great. They're like made for that. So, but I carry tons of smartphones. So, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so how many phones do you, do you normally carry like on a regular basis? Uh, at least two. Most of the time, three. You know, okay. I have two AT&T lines and one T-Mobile line, personally. And so those those are always try to carry. But, yeah, it just depends. Depends gotcha. on what we're reviewing. So so of those two or three, I'm assuming one's an iPhone and then two are usually Android devices? That's right, yeah. <clears throat> and see, there's where, you know, I think uh, a lot of the, you know, for the last, like, couple months, I've been using an Android device norm- as the number one, you know, daily driver. So... Um, and why Galaxy is that? S3. I, you know, I find that there are more friction points, more things that I miss when I'm on um, iOS now than when I'm on Android. It just depends. Like when I'm on Android, I miss iMessage. When I'm on iOS, I sort of miss, um, you know, SwiftKey 3, Chrome, like actual working Chrome that's not just WebKit. Yeah. And, you know, just like a bunch of subtle things. Widgets, you know, like I have all my IP cameras. Yes. And the, the widgets application has, I mean, the IP cam viewer has a great widget functionality. So I can just at a glance, look at all my cameras on the home screen. I mean, stuff like that just varies, but yeah, that's the main thing. It's sort of anecdotal, but. No, no, I, th- I think that's very interesting, right? Because like usually when I encounter someone who only uses one or the other, they can't, like they have no appreciation for what the other platform offers that's an advantage. Right. It's it's yeah. normally um, like I, I remember. So when I was in New York, um, both you and I were in New York at the same time doing different things. And, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, but I, I had the new Motorola Droid Razor M with me and I was having dinner with a friend um, who happened to be an iPhone user. And, you know, he asked me what I thought of the phone. And I was like, hey, you know, it's actually pretty cool. And his immediate response was, but it's not an iPhone or but yeah, it runs that's Android. Shocking. That's I mean, like, again, like, we've, we've discussed this a lot. There's not a lot of cross-platform shopping. There's not a lot of people who sort of stop and evaluate yeah. what, what the differences are. And I think that Android still has a stigma for being sort of um, laggy. Yes. And, you know, the UI isn't as consistent, even though that's largely gone away with 4.1. But unfortunately, 4.1 isn't available on anything but the Galaxy Nexus. Yes. So, yeah, I carry that around overclocked a lot now. And, 
I mean, it'll be a battle to see who gets, whether the HTC One X or the Galaxy S3, both international, get the 4.1 push first. And that will sort of define... But yeah, I, I mean, I feel like a lot of people who sort of a, did this evaluation like two years ago, or maybe a year ago, they they haven't really kept up with it, right? And there's no, there's not as much cross, you know, cross pollination in terms of I'm constantly evaluating what, what mobile platform I'm on. I'm curious to think to hear what you think of the Razer M though, because I saw, I saw I played with like two or three of them at the event I was at, but I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts as well, you know. <laughs> Yeah, so so I was in um, my my to do list in New York was uh, I went to the the Microsoft Nokia uh, Windows Phone eight thing, um, and then I went to the Motorola thing, um, and then the next day I had a NDA Samsung event, which uh, you'll get to hear about tomorrow, I believe. Um, so at the Motorola event, uh, Google and Motorola, and, and I have to say, Motorola and Google did a great job of making the event feel fairly professional um which was good like the the i i think i looked at my clock and it was 39 or 40 ish minutes start to finish um mm, that's good which which i thought was a good length and but minus the sing-along no minus the sing-along the, <laughs> they they had a band up um and I, I don't normally like commenting on stuff like that right because i it's it's not yeah uh, it has yeah. nothing to do with the product right and it's only for you know, when, when people get all snarky about stuff like that, it, it only really applies to other press. And, and I yeah. feel like we, we don't run a site that's just, you know, like a big group of insider press folks, right? Like this is the readers don't care if, if Motorola had a weird band, you know, at the, at the beginning of their thing. But the um, band was ironic, right? It was the Kins, which is a, like a blow across Microsoft's bow because of the Kin. But do you like think the they first were... smartphone I ever reviewed? Do you think they would really do that? Like throw, you know, effectively make fun of a band's name and invite the band all the way over there? I, from... I think that was the reason, wasn't it? I mean, what else was it? How was it? How else was it relevant? Yeah, right? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't I mean, know. It's what to the tell kin. You. There was, I mean, what other kin was there? There was only the kin one and kin two, which were those phones that you know were great and interesting. And there was the kin studio. Yeah, they were like ahead of their time. Antegra. And not all, not altogether as bad as everybody made them out to be, but yeah, no, that's still very a commercial true. failure, like on the market for like two months. Yeah, that's very true. It, so, so for those of you who don't know, um, at the beginning of the Motorola event, they had a band from Australia named uh, The Kin um, come up and, and play like four or five songs. And like everyone was all going crazy because, uh, uh, not the audience, because we're a bunch of tech dudes um but the uh which was a bit odd like I, I i felt bad for the band i felt like they were used to playing for audiences that uh maybe swooned a bit more than we did and um that weren't 98 percent male i mean that's the reality of it right exactly and and we did a horrible job of singing along whenever they tried to get us to sing along which was just a like i felt really bad um well, it's but, like yeah. everybody's there to get their job done, right? This isn't a concert. Like exactly. everybody just kind of wants to do their job and see the device. But along. I felt like, uh, other than that, you know, Eric Schmidt gets on stage, and one that's like that's huge presence, right? Like of all the Android vendors, that Motorola can just have Eric Schmidt, you know, hop on stage and and talk. Uh, I think is a big deal, and uh, so he talked about you know the the 480 million Android devices. You know that that have been sold into the market, and uh, what was it? One point three million Android devices activated per day now. 
something like that. I don't <clears throat> I don't recall the exact number, but yeah. So so it just number. started out like in a really good way. They had um, I was upset that they they didn't disclose as much technical detail um, in in the uh, in the actual presentation. Um, you know, they would make claims like, "Hey, we are twenty percent faster than uh, Safari on the iPhone." Um, but they wouldn't really quantify it, and they wouldn't go any deeper than that. Um, so that was that's my pretty standard. Yeah, I mean, Motorola's <clears throat> press releases didn't even really say what SOC was inside. Yeah, and and so Motorola has always done that, right? If you remember, like from their first uh, uh, their first Tegra based phones, where they just called it Motorola Dual Core. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I get that the like you know Apple doesn't really disclose what architectures are behind their stuff, but. I mean, you don't always want to emulate Apple, right? You, you don't always just want to emulate both the good and the bad. Um, so I wasn't okay with that. But for the most part, look, you know, they, they got to the point. They, I thought they did a good job introducing the things. Um, so they introduced the new Razer family, um, the Droid Razer uh, HD, the Droid Razer HD Max, and then the Droid Razer M. Um, so, the, so they only sampled the M, right? They didn't give you the Razer Max? Correct. Or, I mean, the Razer HD Max. Yeah, so so both of those are coming later this year. The M, I, I think, is you know either about to be available or available now um, on Verizon for ninety nine bucks, I guess, on count, on contract. Um, that's a pretty cool phone. It's a four point three inch display, uh, a QHD. It's a tinier phone, right? It's it's marginally bigger than the iPhone four S, um, and just you get a ton more screen. Um, but I like the thing, you know, I, it's, it's, I've been carrying it with me since New York and, uh, it's a good form factor, man. I, I like it and it's, it's fast and I actually don't even hate Motorola's, uh, I, I guess is yeah, it still Motoblur? Yeah, their skin. Yeah. Is it still called Motoblur? I believe so. Yeah. I mean, it's unofficially, technically it's not called Motoblur, but if you go into the, um, <clears throat> build.prop or the, uh, APK, yeah. it's still Motoblur. I guarantee it. So, so I, I don't actually hate their skin. Like it, it's it's not. I, I still prefer stock, but it's not too cumbersome. Um, it's very ICSy. Yeah, they, that's the that's the thing is that they needed to strike a good balance. Yeah, and they I think they pulled it off as much as everybody, you know, sort of derides it. Exactly. Like the keyboard remains mostly unchanged as far as I can tell compared to ICS. Um, I like the. Uh, uh, the fact that when you're on the home screen, you just swipe once from left to right, and you can get to like all the quick settings that way. That to me seems really natural, um, and I'd love to see everyone else do that. Um, so yeah, I don't really mind the software layer on top of it, uh, and I think the phone size is—I think it's a good size. I think the screen, uh, you know, it, it's Motorola does weird things, and and I, you you have a lot to say about this with with their displays and how they're calibrated. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, because ultimately that's a Samsung display, right? And the, um, it's that that's this is what we've talked about a lot off the record, uh, but I mean, not really off the record, but just off offline. Yeah. So it's that, a super AMOLED. Yeah, you know, Samsung advanced. will sell you the N minus one, and the N minus one in this dev cycle is the QHD display with Pentile. Mm -hmm. and that's that's what you see, and you know it's at it's at the OEM's discretion to do their own calibration or just adopt Samsung's calibration curves and they give you a table and just go from there. And it's hilarious to me because you see a lot of other reviewers say the panel is terrible, but it's the same panel as in the one S right, which is calibrated perfectly. Like it's, it's D 65. It's, it's perfect. Like just across the board. 
but for some reason, you see other OEMs just struggle to calibrate it right. And you know what I saw? The, the two that I saw just briefly looked like they still had some issues. But, you know, it's one of those, like, your mileage may vary things. Yeah. So my main complaint with it is uh, small text, like, zoomed out on a web page is still very, I mean, it looks aliased, right? I, and I don't yeah. know how much of that that's is. That's never going to get better. Yeah. <laughs> with Pentile, at least. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, but overall, I mean, the phone's not bad. Like, I, I, I would like to see Motorola experiment more in this form factor. Like, I love to see the really big, you know, Razer HD Max stuff. But uh, I, I also like to see, you know, a good uh, roadmap for this form factor of device. I think there's a realization taking place that um, we've hit the upper bound, and there's a nice, there's a nice place in between the largest and the smallest. You know, yes. like, where largest is 5 inches. Smallest is like four inches. So I think we're starting to see OEMs come to that realization that they need a big one and a small one. And then whether that ends up being like a male and female split, you know, that's sort of just a, a marketing question. But yeah, I find myself going for the smaller devices just because they're easier to pocket. Yeah, I agree. So then I can carry like four phones or three phones <laughs> or whatever. And <laughs> well, so the question is, what, when do we get... Uh, like what I don't like now is there, there's a, you know, there's not a Silicon trade-off, right? So if you look at the Razer HD or the Razer HD max, they have the same, uh, MSM 8960, um, which I know you're glad that, that, uh, the really, the, the Wrigley baseband is out of these things. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a whole other discussion. I, I, <clears throat> there was nothing ever really particularly wrong with it. It just was again, one of those, um, like initial solutions, that we saw everybody sort of going at it on their own. You know, like LG had one, Samsung had one, Motorola slash TI had one. Yeah. Um, the Wrigley one was really hackable. You could do all sorts of crazy things. So, yeah, it's good. I mean, obviously Qualcomm still has the best performance. That was a UE Category 2 device. But on, yeah. on 10 megahertz, it's not as big of a deal as it otherwise would be. But, you know, and to Motorola's um, credit, they got a lot better in its lifetime. They added they added um, discontinuous RX. They added all the the cool features that it, so battery life got way better. That's and, good. Yeah. So so Wrigley for for folks that don't know that was uh, Motorola's own LTE baseband that they shipped in. What what phones was it in? Basically all the LTE phones up until this one. So the Bionic, um, Droid Razor, Razor Max, Droid Four. Those all were the same platform. You know, and this is, again, when I sort of look at the phones, I only look at, you know, like it's the same platform. It's the same same exact board software package, same exact combination of SOC and baseband and Wi-Fi. And really the things that are different are at the edges, like display, the case, battery size. Yeah. Right? That was all the same. It was like um, Wrigley plus MDM 6600. So, so in this case, um, the original point, uh, you know, you've got MSM 8960, 28 nanometer dual core crate, um, plus Adreno 225 from Qualcomm. You've got the same SOC in the small phone, uh, as well as the large phone, the, the Droid Razor HD and the HD Max. Um, but do you think we'll see unity across display resolutions, you know, in, in the small phone and the large phone as well? Oh, uh, you mean will the small phone have the same resolution? I don't think so. No. So you think you know that small phone? You're always gonna you're you're just gonna have yeah, lower resolution. Yeah, don't make a sacrifice. 
I mean, because a small phone traditionally is like a lower lower cost device. Yeah. So they'll they'll make a sacrifice, and then probably going forwards, you'll see the 8x30 or 8x27 get put in the smaller devices. So um, like for folks who don't know, at lower clocks. Yeah. So so can you take us through what an 8x27 and 8x30 are? So 8x30 is 1.2 gigahertz dual core crate with Adreno 305, um, and the same same modem block basically. And then 8x27 is 1 gigahertz dual core crate, Adreno 305, and then no LTE, so just you know UMTS up to DCHSPA plus. Or um, on the 8x627, you get just 21.1 or CDMA, and the you know, same GPS features, that sort of thing. Gotcha. But, yeah, Adreno 305 versus <clears throat> you know going forward is going to be Adreno 320. Yeah. And uh, 225. So. Well, yeah, so I mean, there's some binning going on there or whatever. In, in those parts, you know, you trade CPU performance per presumably better GPU performance, right? I, we haven't looked at an Adreno um, 305 yet, but I'm assuming that's faster than 225. You know, I don't know how they compare on paper at all. That's a good That's a good point. I guess, I mean, we can, we can compare with th- what we know about 320 and what we know about 305, but I don't think that's necessarily, um, you know, something that's in the public yet. Yeah, that's but true. But at, at the same time... I think it'll probably be good enough, you know, for, I mean, again, it's a lower end skew. It's not as much of a concern. Um, I guess we'll see. Uh, it, it just depends. There's also the, you know, like what happens at the really low end, like 8625, 8x25. That, that'll be interesting. You know, again, like we, that's in the desire X. So yeah, I mean, we look at the low end too. That's cool. <laughs> what what um so everyone knows what is uh 8x25 so 8x25 is one gigahertz dual core um cortex a5 with adreno 203 and um <clears throat> i don't believe they support dchspa plus so you sort of move down the scale in you know both your air interface and the application processor and that's that's 45 nanometers so you know value there's some good pricing going on there clearly Mm-hmm. And that's you know it's in the Desire X, so we'll see. That's in a bunch of other things too, I'm sure. Um, yeah, it's interesting that that Qualcomm you know uses vanilla A5s. Arm. Yeah. yeah, I found that really curious too because I expected them to move down and just put a Scorpion in something, but who who knows? Maybe this is this is much smaller. On the other hand, you know I was um, kind of surprised the A5 gets a lot of use on their modem side. So basically all the modems use an A5. Um, you know, like we speculated a while back that there was a, an application processor inside some of the modems because that's what you see in the, you know, like wireless hotspots is that they don't, they don't have a discrete AP. And so then it turned out to be true. Yes, there's an A5 in there. So it seems to be like they're really a three, three core shop at this point. You can either get a Scorpion, a Crate, or an A5. Interesting. So, so is the A5 what does all the heavy lifting inside of the, the base bands? Um, no. I mean, that's sort of... So you get, like, two different user lands. There's one... I mean, well, one is a user land where you can run Linux and do sort of your routing. The other one is just... I don't know what it's exposed as. Sometimes I see ARM 11. I believe it's ARM v7 now. And that does all the heavy lifting, you know, in conjunction with their DSPs. And there's this weird combination of some things are software-defined, some things are baked into hardware. 
Interesting. That's sort of the stuff that we're never going to get told without ever, you know, it ever being able to see the light of day. But yeah. <laughs> so, so for for the chips with integrated baseband, you know, you effectively have two crates and A5 and some ARM V7 thing all on that same piece of silicon. Yeah, that's right. You know, I don't know if the A5 makes it in um, necessarily into the crate 8960 version. I believe that's sort of separate. Like you all, ostensibly, you don't need like a third AP. You know, there's there. I mean, there's two there's two CPUs per se. I don't know if you need the third A5. I got gotcha. so they would probably just slice out just the modem block. Like the the A5 is sort of separate on these other ones because they it's just sort of like an extra feature. I got gotcha. you. Know? So so in the case of the the crates, they would you know use some time slices from them to to do some of the baseband work. No, there's still its own. It's got its own. Excuse me. It's its own. Um, its own CPU. Yeah. I, okay. Again, I don't know exactly what it is, but uh, it's it's its own. Yeah, it runs its own real time operating system. You know, it sort of exists on its own. Okay. Um, so so real quick, what did you think of all the Motorola announcements? I I, I know you were doing other stuff, but um, uh, yeah. I mean, I followed along that day. In addition with the Nokia stuff. Um, I don't know. I think I think that I really wish that it was launching with Jelly Bean. I think yes. there's a lot of people who talked about that, and that's sort of an easy superficial analysis that you can run. Is you know like, hey, it's not launching Jelly Bean. This isn't you know like what what the heck? It's owned by Google now. Yeah. So again, that's just a misunderstanding of the dev cycle. Like these devices were probably getting ready for a long time. Uh, I thought I thought the hardware is great. It looked looked great to me. The the other thing is I don't know why there is a Max and an H you know an HD Sans Max I would have just made a Max I, f- I feel like that would have consolidated the lineup a little bit better. Interesting. Um, so you don't yeah, think just give people, me the maximum um, battery. Interesting. So you you th- you don't think anyone would shop, you know, for a high end device that's still as thin as possible? Yeah, I don't think. I just think that's confusing. You know, it's just one more skew. I really have to wonder how that affects the economy of scale too. When you're going to LG Chem or Samsung and asking for batteries, you know, I, I feel hmm. like it's sort of like a false. Um, what's the right word? It's sort of like a false. Uh, comp- you know, there's like two dif- two different products. Why do they really need to be there? It's it sort of upsells you into the the higher one. Yeah. You know, I mean, someone's done their homework. I don't want to pretend that I know more, but at the same time, it. It's just a little bit weird. I would have just gone for the maximum. You know, like the Razer Max was, it came later because, hey, you know, this is a great way to differentiate, sort of refresh, bring more attention. I just assumed that when we were going to do this again, just go for like a huge battery and then make that a feature. Interesting. So you have the smaller one, right? Like that's the way to sell the smaller one too. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I guess, you know, I'm okay with a three device lineup. Um, I, I do see that I, I, I do see your point though that like if, if you really wanted to simplify things, you offer the, the beefy one that's that's clearly best of everything and then you know the smaller one. Um, exactly, exactly. And then the Nokia the, <clears throat> the Nokia thing is interesting. Um, so I mean we saw you know Lumia 920 and it's you know the corresponding low end, which is the A20, right? Um, yes. So those devices are interesting. I think the 920 is a little bit big, 
but yes, it is big. And I actually, you know, so the in hand feel, I, I didn't want to say too much about it in in our coverage of it because I didn't spend more than you know, let, let's say half an hour with it. But I didn't yeah, actually it's always like, hard to tell in like thirty minutes. Yeah, I, I didn't actually like the feel of it. Like it, it felt solid, but it felt a little too plasticky almost. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's still polycarbonate. Is it? I don't know. Did you ever play with the nine hundred? Is it the same polycarbonate as the nine hundred? So I didn't play with the 900 for that long. It, it felt like it was something different, but I, I, I don't want to say for sure because oh. I, I, I definitely didn't have a ton of experience there. Yeah, because they changed it up between the 800 and the N9 and then the 900. Like it was just a completely different plastic. And it, it's surprising, but I guess it's not surprising how much that affects the end result. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I wasn't a huge fan of the feel, um, but I'm glad that Windows Phone finally has modern hardware. Um, yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, it only took this long. Yeah. That's, so how many, how long has this been? Like three years? No, it's so. Let's see. October two thousand ten is when they announced when they officially launched Windows Phone seven. Gotcha. Yeah. And they as eight x as eight x fifty. Yeah. So they launched with sixty five nanometer single core Scorpion, um, and then a year later they updated to forty five nanometer. Or 40 nanometer single core Scorpion. Um, yep, 8x55. Yep, and then at the end of 2012, they will finally ship uh, dual core 28 nanometer crate. Yeah, you know, Which, I'm just so I'm just so tired of having this discussion with everybody who says that, oh, Windows Phone doesn't need a lot of horsepower. Oh, Windows Phone doesn't need new SOCs. Oh, Windows Phone is not about latest and greatest. Because they just you just don't get it. If you're saying that, you you absolutely don't get it. Like the reason that that's there is for all the stuff along the edges, right? Yes. You know, like none of the Windows phones can shoot 1080p video at all, right? Like none of the Windows phones can do any of the other fancy features, like higher, you know, I, like video encode. Like it's all the things around the SOC. Yes. And yeah, <clears throat> so well, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's great to see that finally. It's it's not just that you know I, I remember when when Windows Phone launched both you and I were huge fans of it right but there were three issues yes yeah that, <laughs> there were three issues that that Microsoft had right the first one they had no like key device partner right they had no one that was gonna you know really go head to head with the Samsungs and the uh, you know in the Android space um, and yes. and the uh, Apples of the world the second issue was they were shipping on dated hardware and the third issue was they needed to uh, at least equal, if not outpace, Google and Apple in terms of frequency of updates, right? Yes. And, and the people that, that said that, you know, hey, they don't need to do that. It's a more efficient OS, things like that. No one ever wins by being slower, right? It's, no. it's yeah. in the history of all computing. No one has ever said, you know, hey, I'm going to ship uh, two-year-old chips and, and that's how I'm going to beat the competition. Or I'm, you know, not going to update as quickly or update just as quickly and that's going to give me an advantage. Um, yeah, and five megapixel cameras. I mean, there's just a litany of things. Yeah, and, and it's not it really. It just always felt like it was never getting the attention it deserved. And they made promises early on, like the updates are gonna come like machine gun fire. Yeah, like it'll just like it'll make your head spin. But then you know, just sitting around waiting for updates, right? Yeah, we got we got two updates. You know, in the year that followed the launch. Which was fine. Like two updates is good, but Google gave us two updates, right? We had ICS and and Honeycomb and ICS in the same amount of time, and and you know they're not spending nearly as much money, right? Exactly. <laughs> so I, 
that has to change. Like, I, I, I hope that uh, Windows Phone, you know, what I viewed Windows Phone 7 as was, hey, this is, uh, this is a way of us getting internal credibility within Microsoft to go do something a little more ballsy and, and bold. And now that we got it, Okay, thanks for everyone for supporting us. Now we're, you know, going to use that that internal credibility that we have and and go off and, and build Windows Phone eight. Um, my so hope they is they built the internal credibility, but they killed the external credibility with no updates for people that were early adopters, right? Yeah, and yeah, I mean that's that's, you know, I think from Microsoft's perspective, that that two percent of the market or whatever that they have, you know, they're okay if they kind of screw those yeah, folks, that's right? True. Right, like that's it's brutal. That's that's so brutal, but it is true. I mean, that's that's exactly what it ends up being, right? Like that, it's uh, you know, hey, thanks for supporting us. Now we can go internally to our bosses and you know the exec staff and say, look, this funky new UI works, and you know, give us the internal collateral and support that we need. Um, thanks everyone for buying Windows Phone Seven. Uh, hope you come back and <laughs> have a nice buy day. Again. Yeah, you exactly. Lose, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like. Uh, I don't know. I, I hope that this all changes, right? I hope that uh, Microsoft's now going to be on the bleeding edge of uh, adapting new SOCs. I mean, not to a fault, but, you know, not lagging behind everyone else. Like I said, no one ever wins by being slower. Yeah, it doesn't It doesn't need to be like their first, you know, because Android will always be first. And if you care about the hardware, you're using Android. Yeah. But at the same time, it's we can't. You, they can't afford to be two years like like they were in the past. Yeah, it has to be current generation, right? Like you, you know, people always love to to incorrectly state that like Apple doesn't care about specs, but you know, God, yeah, I feel like that's marketing. That's got to be marketing. I mean, you know, Apple is shipping. They ship Ivy Bridge when Ivy Bridge is available. They'll ship Haswell when it's available, right? They'll ship the latest and greatest. And I think Microsoft needs to. I mean, I remember having this conversation with Microsoft when. Uh, I was like, look, you know, you guys, you're shipping 65 nanometer single core Scorpion. There's better stuff out there. And they were just bringing up this discussion about, you know, well, dual core is bad for battery life. And yeah, these are just, just excuses. Yeah. This is just like standard, you know, I don't want to say FUD, but you know, FUD. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm hoping Windows Phone 8 will, will kind of change that. Um, the 920, I, you know, a lot of people are really interested in it. And I don't know if it's because... And there are some cool features, right? So wireless charging, I think, is neat. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I, I don't know. Wireless charging has never been enough to, like, sell a phone. You know, like, the Pre had wireless charging. And the other thing is that it's really hard to use a phone while it's charging if it's wireless. Yes. So, I mean, I guess you could pick it up. <laughs> but if it's almost dead, then you, you can't really pick it up. Yeah, but you can always still plug it in, right? Like the wireless yeah. charging doesn't have to be the only way of charging it. This is true, yes. Um, so the wireless charging's neat, and they also integrated, um, I guess, the latest version of Synaptic's ClearPad 3 touch controller, which allows you to... They call it super sensitive touch, right? Where you're able to actually interact with the display while you're wearing... Uh, something that's not conductive so like a, a glove or you know if you've got a piece of cloth over your hand or something like that um which i thought was kind of compelling that is very cool because that's traditionally been the reason for nokia's resistance to capacitive is because obviously it's cold and you got to wear gloves yes um and and that actually worked really well um at least with the demo they did they uh 
Jason Gregory, both uh, uh, someone Brian and I both know um, at Nokia, he, he just did a demo where he wrapped his finger in uh, like a piece of cloth that he'd folded over four times, and uh, he wow, could still that's a lot. Yeah, he could he could scroll just fine, and you know he, he used the keyboard; it worked. Um, I'm assuming it'll also work with like normal gloves. Uh, there was one lady walking around with actual like mittens on that, that did a demo. Um, so that's compelling. I, I, I think those are both neat features. Um, you know, they sell those normal, like, I don't know if you do winter sports, but I, I like to go skiing when I can. And there's, they sell these gloves that I use now that have like, um, a little bit of like metal at the, at the fingertips, you know, on the fabric. Yeah. And you can use those in conjunction with the phone. So I can text while skiing now. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't I'm not really big into the winter sports thing. Um I don't know, just I don't like the cold and then sports in the yeah. cold just doesn't yeah. work with me. <laughs> it's doubly bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um and most of the sports seem like I'm just most definitely going to break something even though most of my like sports related injuries come from like basketball anyways. Uh-huh. I've gotten surprisingly good at texting while skiing. It's it's surprising. How do you not run into trees and stuff while oh, doing that? Oh, it's peripheral vision. Like, I've, you know, like, again, the human vision system is, like, this amazing software-defined thing. So you can just build that out, you know? <laughs> what, do you, hold on. what do you mean build that out? You know, like, if you get used to looking out of your peripheral vision and looking in the center, then you can avoid hazards pretty well. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. That's that's I mean it makes sense we're we're good and adaptive like that it's just a hilarious way of you referring to the human vision system like it's a, a feature in a phone oh it's totally a feature yeah yeah the brain <laughs> is crazy um it, for anyone who doesn't know Brian is an optical engineer so uh, this is not unusual for him to go into this kind of a discussion <laughs> just go off on a tangent I'm sorry what, what no. were we talking about you know what's what's cool tangentially about the human vision system. Is that because the image we form is upside down? If you revert the image using like prism glasses, then um, after like a day or so, your brain will flip that image, and then you'll see the you know like right side up image. So you'll get used to not having the image being flipped in your you know that's projected on the retina. And then when you take the glasses off, you can really screw with your head, and then you'll be back to flipped for like a day, and then flipped again. And you can you can do this with like they sell a bunch of different prism glasses. And you can really mess with your head. <laughs> Wait, so so you're saying normally your your brain does the flipping of, of what it sees, so everything looks That's upright. That's correct. Yes. And then if you wear glasses that flips that, you'll then eventually you, get yeah. You'll you, your brain will you know within a day or so get used to it, and it'll be like, hey, this image that I'm getting presented with is now right side up. That doesn't make any sense. Let me stop flipping. Yeah. And then you'll see normal. But then when you you can take the glasses off you know, at any time. And then after a day or so, that adaptive process will happen again. That's hilarious. Have you done this? No, I haven't. But I've always wanted to. I want to buy some of those glasses. And where do you even get these glasses from? Just on Amazon. They just have some prisms in them. You know, yeah. I, don't know, I can't remember what type of prism. Maybe it's like, um, I want to say a Risley prism. I don't really remember. I, I, I memorized all the prisms at one point, but, you know, just like an inversion prism. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, well, so that, that kind of lends into the, the next big part of the 920 discussion, which is the camera system on it. Um, and oh I know God. you, you <laughs> so, so before we get to the, the naming for all of it, you know, they have optical image stabilization, which they didn't really say a lot about 
you know, the specifics there. I, I don't know if you were able to, to glean any more from what was announced. No, not really. I mean, honestly, I looked at it all. There wasn't, they didn't really um, call out anything specific, but it is an optical image stabilization system. You know, they had a, a brief white paper um, on the, what's, what's in the 920, but there wasn't, there wasn't too, I didn't look at it too heavily. You know, we'll look at it more in the review. I yeah. think the bigger thing is, as soon as I saw the sort of like leaked images, it was obvious that this wasn't, um, what's the right word? This wasn't like a 41 megapixel, you know, sort of what people think when they think of pure view, I guess phase one they're calling it versus pure view phase two. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and so I, that, that's... I tweeted out, you know, like retina is analogous to Apple as pure view is to, to Nokia, you know? And what I meant there was that it can sort of mean whatever they want it to mean, whenever they yes. need it to mean something. So again, that's what happens when you assign a buzzword to something. And I'm sure it looked like their low light performance was really good. And obviously OIS is new. Everybody has EIS, which is the you know electrical image stabilization. But um, <clears throat> we'll see how good it does in reality. It looks like they, you know, like they they can get a three threes you know a two or three stop improvement. Um, just from OIS, which isn't bad, but it's not it's not peer view in the sense that it's oversampling, which is what everybody was sort of hoping for. Yeah, that and I think that would have been nice for sure. Um, See, and I, I, I made this point to somebody else at the HTC event that I was at, and I said, you know, like here's the peer view 808. Just just give me Windows Phone on it. This isn't that hard. Just change the SOC. You know. Do all the camera customization, keep all that discrete stuff discrete, because that is one of the things you can customize in Windows Phone, is everything about the camera. You can't customize any of the you know, like skin. Um, you can't customize beyond what I you know like what SOCs are allowed, but you can customize whatever you want with the camera. So just really just just give me a PureView 808 with you know Windows Phone and just call it a day. I don't care that it's huge. You know I don't care. Um, and that it's big, just do that. This is simple. Um, do you think there's a market for that? Absolutely. I mean, well, I don't think it's a very big market. There is a market. You know, it, it exists. Is it is it huge? No. I mean, but then again, is the market for like the <clears throat> the no, the Nikon S800C or the Galaxy camera big? No. You know, like those are going to be you know not commercial successes, but that's part of the iterative process that we're going through where the camera is moving towards a smartphone and the smartphone is moving towards a camera. And again, there's that age-old argument, that sort of one-liner, that the best camera is the one that's on you all the time. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think that would have been obvious. Like, that was obvious to me. I don't know why, you know, like, obviously there's some reason that didn't exist or somebody didn't want to do that. But to me, that was the easy explanation, you know, like the easy lowest. You have that design. Just, just you know, make it work. Just adapt it slightly, right? And like the 920 is like clearly an adaptation of the 900 slightly. Yes. So, again, again, this is me armchair engineering everything. So I could be vastly wrong. Well, I, I think you know from Nokia's standpoint, they are still, they're still not in a place where they have the luxury of just introducing whatever, right? Anything they introduce has to be commercially as successful as possible that's true that's a good point right like i i feel like 
I feel like there have to be people within the company that are like, oh, hey, we should go do this. And other people that are thinking, yeah, it's uh, we still need to make a lot of money. Right. Like we we're we're <laughs> we've stopped hemorrhaging, but we need to still like, you know, be a real force in this industry. And, and we're not yet. You know, we're, we're yeah. still trying to kind of trying to pick up there. Um, and it's sad because they were, you know, and they had they had this tremendous leadership. And I guess, you know, like that's the status with all these um these other players, you know, like first it was Palm, then it was Rim, now it's Nokia. <clears throat> I mean, who else? You can just go down the list. Yeah, it's the case with all of them. You know, nobody's, um, you know, nobody's perfect. I think, I think at the same time, you know, Nokia has always been the the most aggressive when it comes to imaging performance. Like a lot of the people at the College of Engineering, I remember when I initially started, were from Nokia, and you know, spoke highly of it. So they they've clearly developed a lot you know I spent a lot of time working on this problem and um, at the same time when you're delivering something that's you know very care very close to sort of this you know like standard you know image imaging system for these other smartphone modules it starts to become you know, like difficult to really say we have a competitive advantage right like the low light performance is one thing the steady video is one thing again I think steady video is a little bit less because everybody has EIS, like that's just done. Yeah. And everybody has rolling shutter correction, that's just done. So I don't know, question mark. We'll see we'll see how it performs. I you know, they didn't talk a lot about the front cameras either. And the front camera is something that you know, needs to see a lot of improvement and that people just sort of write off. Yes. But again, I don't I don't really know, right? Like I I can only armchair here. I, I the pixels can't get very much smaller. You know, we're at we're at two waves right now. You can't really get below one wave. So I, I think that they did more harm than benefit with the whole like let's fake the video thing and then let's fake the images thing with the diffraction spikes. Yeah. That was I don't know who was responsible for that. That was just a fiasco and it's unfortunate. Like you know, and we're not we don't ever drum up that stuff because that's sort of like tabloidy. Yeah. Like you were saying, like we don't care, you know, like that's just like I don't care. It doesn't go in the review. Like somebody screwed up. This is probably some marketing. Yeah. But um, it doesn't help their case. See, I and and you know it was surprising to me that there was all this like hoopla over the faked images because their actual images that they generated at the press event were good, right? Yeah, exactly. Like there was, and and that's why I didn't even understand. Like yeah, they faked it. Um, Okay, that's a discussion, but the discussion should have been around like, hey, how how good were these images that they produced? Um, the demo they had was pretty cool. Like they had a little dark chamber um, with a vase with flowers in it, and you could stick your camera in there, your phone, or or you know the nine twenty test system that they or test phone that they had set up, um, and snap off a picture. And and low light performance was tangibly better, right? We included one shot versus the four S, which obviously you know the, the iPhone four S is using kind of. Uh, dated hardware by comparison, but uh, there was a very big low light performance difference there. Um, so they didn't let you take the image with you, though. That's the thing, right? They let, no, they let I, some other players take the images with them, but no? Yeah, I asked if I could get a copy of the file, and they said that wasn't okay. Um, yeah, and I heard the video OIS is not final yet. 
Yeah, I don't know. A lot of the stuff there, one, because, you know, Microsoft is still kind of pulling strings in the back. Yeah. And, and still Microsoft, updating the, the OS. Yeah. Yeah. And Microsoft did the same crap at, at um, Computex, right? Where they were like, look, there are only certain parts of Windows RT that are okay to show off. And no one is allowed to, you know, flip beyond these screens or, or do anything beyond yeah. this. Yeah. And, That's been their MO forever, it seems. Yeah. And, and I remember, you know, hey, look. 10 years ago, Microsoft's the only game in town, and, and it's okay to kind of make those kinds of claims because what else are you going to do? But, you know, with Windows RT, with Windows 8, Microsoft's not really in a position to, to kind of make these sorts of stipulations and demands. And I get that they're trying to control perception, but I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's almost better to say, look, there's some rough edges, but here you get kind of an idea of what things are going to be. Um, I completely agree. I couldn't agree more. Like, just because... They're not in the position to sort of um, tease the thing to anybody. Yeah. You know, at the same time, they need they need some platform evangelists that aren't Microsoft. Exactly. And the only way you're going to get those is if you show a real demo. And I think the majority of the tech press that, you know, isn't the tabloidy sense is willing to understand that, you know, this is not RTM yet. Yeah. Like, we're, we're mostly adults here. Um Again, all the Windows 8 builds leaked, and you didn't see like the world fall apart. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that they're just saving, like you, like you've said, they're saving the hoopla, you know, for themselves and their own announcement, and sort of drum up attention in sort of like an Apple-y kind of way. Yeah, but see, I think it's a mistake, right? Because you're, especially when you know, there's a lot of discussion about Windows RT, and and I feel like if there's a chance that it's not going to be perfect. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's better to let people discover that along the road rather than have expectations that it's going to be awesome and then do this big unveil and then everyone's just disappointed on day one. Um, sure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So I, I, I don't know. I, I think... Obviously, yeah, managing expectations is a huge part of this business. Yes. And and everybody has to do it. And their their man, their approach to managing expectations is... You will have no expectations at all. Yeah. We will surprise you with either good or bad on the day that it happens. Yes. Right. And <laughs> and I don't think Microsoft. I I I I think you and I are just on you know one side of the fence from Microsoft on this one. Um, yeah, they clearly don't see it the same way. Yeah. I mean, you know, part of it, you have to give Microsoft credit, right? That this is, you know, in many ways, Microsoft was a lot like Intel um, in the petting four days. Big conservative company, you know, has been doing things a certain way for so long that it's difficult to get them to not behave that way. Um, yeah, sure, sure. But Intel changed. I, I would assume that Microsoft could as well. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of Nokia. I, I think what I concluded from the 920 was it's a good device. It fixes you know, some of the issues that we've had with Windows Phone, you know, better hardware, newer OS. Um, it's not going to be the thing that that solves, you know, and, and gives Microsoft, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30% market share. Um, but it's a step in the right direction. What really matters is, do we just wait another two years before the next major update? Or is Microsoft going to kind of push things more aggressively now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, time will tell. Yeah. Who knows? I think they'll stick on 8960 probably for a while. But again, that's because really the only options are either more crates or later on, you know, the crate respin. You know what I found more interesting about that device is the five band LTE thing. 
Yes. You know, and specifically the 2.6 gigahertz LTE compliance, because that immediately tells me that it's, um, you know, the new transceiver, WTR1605L, and that, that tells me that that's available now. So that'll be interesting to see. You get one, you get a one very high port, 2.6 gigahertz, which is rapidly becoming like a very common international LTE band. Yeah. And um, that's on there. <clears throat> and the rest of the LTE bands are just, they're just there because all the ports are created equal. So you can do, L, you can do LTE on the same band they are doing WCDMA. So that's why you see the 800, 900, 1800, 2100. But I found that very curious, very, you know, like in a cool sort of way. But that's just me. I'm always like, oh, I want, I want the phone that has the most bands. <laughs> no, like I mean, the that coolest makes sense. radio. Yeah. Right. Like we should all care more about that. Right. And I don't know. Which is why the Galaxy Nexus is really hard to carry around. Like, even though it has pentaband, it's really hard to carry around because it has, it has no received diversity, has no interference cancellation, has no um, advanced radio features. Just like yeah. it's that, you know, like just deal with it. You get like three or four megabits max. So, oh, well. That's, that's disappointing. Do you, yeah, do you that, notice that's a why difference? I, yeah, there's a huge difference. Yeah. And, and again, people, I don't know, they, maybe people realize this and, you know, maybe they don't. But yeah, there's a huge difference in the RF performance between some of these devices. Yeah, absolutely. It's like gigantic. And again, that's the thing. I'm kind of still upset that Intel is sitting on Xgold 6260 and that just sort of like is the solution that we see everybody ship like forever. Yeah. And there's no impetus to do anything better because it's so well understood now. I mean, they have a roadmap, right? Like you've seen uh, their LTE stuff. Yeah, but I want to see it ship, right? Yes. I haven't seen it pop up anywhere. Like no, I'd, love to, I'd love to see the DCHSPA Plus stuff that they've shown. And, you know, the website is so out of date. Like, the most up-to-date information I have about all those parts was um, <laughs> I took all those pictures in that meeting room. Do you remember yes, that? <laughs> at MWC. I still go back to those. No, I was it's, like, it's... hey, just excuse me. I'm going to take pictures of, like, every square inch of your wall. Yep. Do you remember that? Yeah, no, no, totally. There was uh we were at a meeting, um, Brian and I were meeting with uh Dottie Perlmutter, right? Um Yeah, so I was like, hey, I'm gonna be rude, just like excuse me for a second, I'm gonna take a picture of like everything on your wall. Yeah, because they had you know? all of the the Intel baseband or the Intel Infineon baseband silicon on the wall with like descriptions of features and, and you know, a reference Brian's design, yeah, like PCB. Yeah, and, and Brian, you're right. Like, you can't get that information. Like, Intel has a fairly decent arc.intel.com site for all the chip architecture stuff. Um, exactly. But there's but no there's equivalent. no there's none of that for the Infineon stuff or the I mean, Infineon wireless. Like, now it's Intel Wireless Group. Yeah, but that's stuff. just that's the mo for you know everything Intel in ultra mobile right now, right? It's it's they're so serious about it, but they're clearly not as serious about it as they are with the rest of the stuff. Right? Maybe, like, maybe that's our fault. Like maybe that's my fault for not making this more of an issue, you know, uh, cause and effect, you know, I don't know what the, um, you know, this is sort of like a feedback loop of there aren't enough people caring so that they'll improve the site because I'm not doing enough job, enough of a job talking about it Yeah. because there's not that information or maybe, you know, like I'm lazy and I should get on the phone more. Yeah. I, I don't know what, what the deal is, but well, I, you know, I personally, it's just like anecdotal knowledge that I like having and it, it is important. 
and I don't know what else to say other than like literally what was on the wall there is more than I've seen in the past six like since then. Yeah. Well, no, I I, I think it's a it's um, an embodiment of like I said a much bigger issue with Intel's Ultra Mobile Group right now, which is we it's it's still not as important to Intel as a whole, right? Yeah. Like you you don't see. You know, there's still like well, all that stuff of, is on TSMC 40, right? Like, when are we going to get this on? You're making it on your own fab. Yes, exactly. And there's no there's no information disclosure about stuff like that. And I don't know if that's because nobody's asking. Like I asked, but I got to you know, like we don't we can't really tell you slash it's not a big priority slash yeah. it doesn't really matter. But at the same I, time, of course it matters, right? Like, come on. No, it's I true. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's it's really frustrating with Intel because I know they have the ability to be doing so much more right now, and it's not happening. Which, you know, I I, I guess part of that is them not having the customer wins, um, but part of them not having the customer wins is they're not being super aggressive on the silicon side either. Um, yeah, another catch twenty two. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yeah. So, I don't know. It'll get better, I guess. Yeah. Um, so then last thing about what we did last week, what can you say you were at like a, so I went to like the kind of general press announcements for Nokia and, and Motorola, but you went to like this ultra exclusive HTC event. Um, yeah, the HTC frequencies. Yeah. You can say the name. So it's hashtag freaks. Um, that was a lot of fun and yeah, there's, it's like 90% of it is under NDA, but I mean, they did a good job sort of like framing you know, what is, what is HTC? What does our design process look like? You know, just like general overview stuff, not necessarily things that become news. Like the news out of there was the, um, the tripod, you know, like there's a tripod for the one X that's crafted out of metal, which is really great. And, um, the Kushni at Oaks, like, um, fashion week one X, which is like black and white and has a custom skin. And um, I I pressed really hard to try to get, to try to get one because <laughs> I like having the one offs, but um, that one you I was told I need to be a Victoria's Secret fashion model to even have a <laughs> shot. So they only have a hundred of them, and only a hundred people that are invited get to use that thing. So none of none of even these like ultra exclusive you know like tech journalist people, which you know like I, I don't consider myself an ultra exclusive tech journalist people. Like I'm just just like like I'm here. Yeah, but um, none of those other people got them either. So, but I mean, it's kind of cool. It's like black and white, and it's split down the middle, and it's two different plastic pieces, and it's a it's a one XL inside, so the AT and T eighty nine sixty one X, but it um, <clears throat> doesn't have the AT and T logo on it, so it has the HTC logo on it, and I don't know, it looked cool. But again, you need to be like uber uber fancy and cool to get it. So I was told, yeah, there's no way you're getting one unless you have basically a sex change and um <laughs> slash like rippling abs or something which i don't and um i i don't know what else there is to say i get think i had a great discussion about whether they should bundle the tripod and my feedback is that if if you're a, a smartphone vendor that's focusing on camera then yes you need to bundle the tripod even the tripod mount even if it's um just something that's plastic you know, like like Nokia bundles a tripod mount with the Lumia, you know, I mean the PureView 808. And there are a couple other tripod mounts that I've seen. And, you know, even if it's not necessarily something the customer is going to use, it conveys a message you're serious about camera performance enough 
you could put it in a tripod, you know, like just the quarter 20 screw mount. That's all it is. Yeah. And so I have like a gazillion of those. I've been through all the ones on Amazon and most of them don't accommodate devices bigger than four and a half inches diagonal screen. And I've broken a few cause I shoved the big phones into there. And, um, I think going forwards, yeah, if you want to be taken seriously as we're have, we have great camera performance, it does make sense to, to ship a tripod mount because yeah, I mean like I'll use it in a tripod. Personally, it makes my life easier because I can, you know, do the, the smartphone comparisons with the tripod. Yeah. And, um, you know, like in a bracket, like we use it, I use a dual camera bracket. Um, I stick it in the, the Monfrotto like 550X or whatever tripod. And so that, yeah. So basically my answer was yes, it, you should absolutely have one, but it, they're looking for feedback about whether it's worth it for them to run more for other products. And yeah, again, I think, I think any rational person could say and should say to HTC, like just tell them, like tweet at them or something, uh, that yes, you need to do that. I, I don't know what else was really on the record. We had, we, we, there was a meeting with iSupply who is kind of cool. Um, so we, you know, I could talk with them and they did like a teardown of the one X and, um, you know, I, I kind of talked about, you know, like with them, their struggles and what teardowns are like, and we don't really do teardowns per se, but we look at the internals of course. So we have mostly orthogonal, you know, goals. They're trying to get to a dollar amount. We're trying to understand, you know, what's inside. Yeah. But just a lot of really great discussions, you know, not not things that are necessarily going to go into an article. Yeah. Well, but, so so one thing that um, the the whole point of this like frequencies event um, is really to give us a better understanding of how HTC works as a company. And and I'm curious, Brian, what your impressions are. Um, I came away from from the last frequencies event six months prior. I was pretty impressed with HTC. Like they they definitely understand um quite a bit about the market and at the same point they're willing to be very upfront transparent frank with editors under nda but it, it and i think it's a, a they're being very progressive as a device maker yeah um, absolutely i, think I would agree with that absolutely like 100 percent. they know what's going on you know and they're not a samsung i think they're a little bit more agile and that they're smaller and they they know that they know where they are in the spectrum of things you know, they put up some slides with, you know, various stuff. And, uh, yeah, I think exactly I'd agree completely with what your characterization is. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. You know, I feel like there are companies that I've worked with for a decade that haven't been as frank or as open or as transparent as HTC has been at these frequency events, um, which I think is saying a lot, right? Like, this is a company that's still fairly young in, in doing all of this um, interaction with the press being its own like kind of device maker stuff like that um so i, I don't know i I'm, I'm impressed with what they've done thus far um and you know i'm also still really a big fan of the entire one line with the one x and the one s um me too me too i think i think that doesn't get enough um i don't know if, i don't know if it's correct say to, to say that but yeah, the one line deserves a lot more love than it gets. I agree. I agree 100%. I feel like since the Galaxy S3 launched, which, you know, even you, you said it was a, a great phone. I feel like that's what everyone flocks to, right? It's either mm -hmm. that or yes. the iPhone. Um, but Obviously, I, that's a function of ma marketing dollars as well. Yes. <clears throat> I, th I think that's a big thing that 
people need to realize, and it really occurred to me even more, you know, when you're like, I spend a lot of my time indoors, but when you go outside and you see, you know, like, uh, for example, in the, you know, Dallas airport, that airport was entirely owned by Samsung, right? Yes. It's just like everything is Samsung. So yeah, I think some of that is a function of marketing. Obviously the Galaxy S3 is a great device too, but um, yeah, I'd agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 and and this is curious. So you and I talked about this a bit. Um, how much sense would it make, uh, no pun intended, for HTC to to really pursue doing another Nexus device? So I actually had a really long conversation about this, and I think there are a bunch of different viewpoints on the on the matter. Um, and I think some of what their policy is is still under NDA, but my my theory there is that. You know, even though the Nexus devices until the Nexus 7 don't sell a lot of units to make it worthwhile, it makes it worthwhile in the sort of mindshare and development platform. And you sort of define what the status quo and what the reference design looks like for the next version. And so it, even though it isn't a big money maker, it's a huge thing when it comes to perception and getting, you know, that sort of engineering work with Google and that relationship. And then again, perception, like and percept reality, you know, perception is king because that's the reality. And <clears throat> again, Samsung having so many tries at the Nexus phone, it conveys that sort of if you want, you know, a de facto Android device, you need to go to Samsung. And at the same time, I think, you know, the original um, two devices, if you look at the the HTC the G1, the T-Mobile G1, and then the Nexus one, those were both HTC. And you know, like HTC shipped the first Android phones. I think that needs to come back a little bit. Like I'd love to see just a vanilla One X that runs, you know, is a Nexus device. And again, there are these rumors, and I don't necessarily subscribe to them that there's going to be like a million Nexus devices this next, you know, refresh. Yeah. But again, I think it would be huge for HTC to have that. Well, I think so it, I think it's bigger than a lot of people realize because yeah, it defines who's the you know like who's the canonical this is the android core when i want none of the nonsense what is that right so yeah that's huge yeah and i think uh you know the i think you touched on perfectly right so you look at the branding benefits from asus having its logo on the nexus 7 right yeah, like it's that's huge. you you can't it's you can't validation pay, exactly you can't pay enough to get that kind of marketing um especially cuz it's a good device too look at what that does to Asus being able to bring Jelly Bean to its other tablets. Exactly. Yeah, this is the point I've tried to make many times. And, um, you know, there are marginal levels of success. But, yeah, this is huge. And for an OEM, I think that they don't, they shouldn't underestimate the power of Nexus. Yes. And, um, again, there's this argument that's always going to exist about, well, that's sort of like the geeky crowd isn't is you know like i hate the word geek but it's like the ultra enthusiast crowd that's you know savvy with what is the nexus device at any given time yeah but again it's that it's the high end that drives the middle and the low and i don't want to say it trickles down but it's sort of like they make the purchase advice and the influential you know like advice that you know makes the other people make their purchase decisions and i i think it's bigger than a lot of people realize and at the same time, the Play Store is now sort of like the place to go buy these unlocked phones. And we're seeing prepaid start to take off, you know, like Simple Talk and the T-Mobile plans. And 
again, it's sort of like a convergence of a bunch of different factors. So I don't think it's to be underestimated at all, the power of being the, getting the nexus choice. Yes. At least, you know, from my perspective. No, I, I agree. I, I do think that it's a bit absurd that this is the way it works, right? I would much rather everyone have, you know, access to the latest and greatest software. But I, I you know, given the, the current, the way the world works currently, I, I think it, it does behoove HTC to, to kind of participate in that. Um, yeah, but at the same time, it doesn't make them any money. So it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's a hard it's, sell. It doesn't make anybody any money, I guess, except for maybe ASUS now, and that's a recent phenomenon. So yes, that's true. Um, so that kind of wraps up what we did last week, um, and then basically we both flew across the country, um, and that brings <laughs> yeah. us to this week. So IDF starts um, on Tuesday, uh, and and so this is interesting. I was having this discussion with AMD actually earlier. So for years, Intel will do IDF. And AMD will come and, you know, grab whatever hotel rooms until leaves. Um, and, uh, you know, it'll, it'll hold meetings there, right? Like, you know, all the press is in one place. They're already here to talk about CPUs. Let's just invite them over to our, like, rogue hotel establishment. And, you know, we can talk about AMD CPUs. But Apple having an iPhone event during IDF week down the street from IDF, this is the first time that a company effectively kind of bigger than intel has impacted it (laughs) right like yeah this is the first time and you see it even on the schedule right so um on the press schedule tuesday is like haswell lots of haswell stuff because that's what everyone wants to talk about wednesday iphone day what's on the schedule software right like the keynote is yeah it's it's (laughs) i like it and and maybe i'm oversimplifying like maybe there's just a ton of really cool stuff happening there um i i mean i know i'm even speaking at a a a thing at intel on on wednesday um but it's i mean this is kind of like a a really ballsy move right like it's it's you know intel has had this date set in stone for a really long time um and apple just shows up and they're like yeah by the way we're launching our iphone here um just a couple doors down from where you guys are doing your big intel thing uh, See, and I always wonder about how that scheduling works, like whether all these agencies talk to each other through some sort of like back channels. Maybe, but there are no agencies here, right? Apple doesn't use an agency. This is internal Apple and internal yeah. Intel. You, you know what I mean, though, like all the schedulers, like yeah. these, these people in power who are calling the shots, I guess. No, it's I, I, I don't know. It's hilarious. Like I, I um, uh, it's just weird. I've, I've never seen anyone do that before. Right, because the closest this, was this eight. whole month is crazy. Like you know, last week, the week before, this week, the week after. I don't yeah. know when it stops. Like I'm so backed up with stuff, and I know you are too. That there's just there's no way you can get anything done. No, when you're flying around constantly. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no way to get anything done. Um, I mean, we get stuff done, but it's difficult to maintain the amount of depth that we want to go into. Yeah, that's right. right. That's the right way to say it. Um that that's the that's the difficulty in all of it um and i don't necessarily know that i have the right solution there right i I was i was talking to someone at the motorola event and um uh it it was someone from a mainstream press uh, tech publication and uh they were asking about what we do and they were like so 
uh, you know, you using the the Nokia there for the 30 minutes. Um, so is that a review? And I was like, no, no, no. We need at least two weeks to get like an actual review oh, done. Oh God, I hate that. Like this trend of I used it for 30 minutes. I'm going to call it a review. This is just entirely like an SEO thing. I yeah. Know. Yeah. It's 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 a pain, right? And I hate that like we've even gotten to that point. And and I know this is the the second time now that we've touched on this issue of um something, you know, we've always called the <laughs> yeah. the cable the cable TVification of of the web, right? Um and and I swear one of these times, you know, I'm actually going to just rant for 40 minutes on it. But um yeah, it's you it's should. tough. It's tough getting all of that stuff done because it's just there's a lot of work that you have to put into everything. Um so anyways, you know, like, the issue for me, too, is that it takes a while to get into the mindset where you've loaded all of the stuff into um, into your brain. You know, like you get in that mood and you're like, this is the thing that programmers have, too, is that there's this immense emotional and mental like loading that needs to happen before you get in the state where like I can write about this. Yes. And like I need like six hours. And otherwise, if there isn't six hours, it's like I can't do it. It's not worth it. Yeah. You know? No, it's 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 true. Like uh, a lot of folks, um, you know, I, I know you and I relate on, on this topic. Uh, writing for me and, and what we do here is is really a very like mental and emotional kind of game. Right. It's not as um, totally. Yeah, it, it's not as cut and dry as you think, because which is surprising given how data driven we are. Right. Like it's it's the actual writing, the creative process is so much more mentally taxing than just, hey, here's some data I'm reporting on it. Um, You know, one of the things I regret the most, actually, is that given the like intense push to crank so much out, I don't get to spend as much on the creative process and and making the writing more of a, uh, I guess, a labor of passion versus, look, I just need to get this out there as quickly as possible. Um, yeah, you mean like creative, creative writing approaches and like exactly it entertaining to read sort of yeah. thing. Which you know, I mean, obviously we do a certain amount of, but it, it, yeah. it's like you know the the difference in spending a month writing one thing versus a week uh, can be huge on the the creative writing process. Well, and you've you've been you've been at this game for much longer than I have, like just like an order longer. So you've seen the the cycle come down from like sort of you could compete at this on a like the the instead of a twenty four hour like twelve hour now news cycle it was like a week yeah you know or even a month so I don't know how I don't know I couldn't adapt to that like I, I'd be stuck in whatever whatever felt the most comfortable yeah I mean it's because on the one hand I get the benefit of you know instant news, instant everything, right? I understand that, that that's, uh, I understand the value in that. Um, I feel like we give up a lot in just the relentless pursuit of that. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and oh, well, I don't... all this stuff, all the question, you know, like all the, the chance for comment, the chance, and even though we, we don't really ever quote anybody, but you know, we, we get, we get people to talk about like, is this true? All that stuff is gone if you're just, you know, like I reviewed it in 30 minutes and then I sat down next to it and wrote, you know, that yeah. the 920 sucked or like the 920 <laughs> was awesome, right? You know. Yeah, it's 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 difficult. Um, I, I Like I said, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think media in general has always trended towards this, right? The lowest common denominator, the, you know, 
hey, let's talk about death explosions and all this bad stuff, and that's how we get people to look at us. Um, sure, I, yeah. I feel like that's just really not right, right? I, I don't think the world has to entirely be PBS, but I feel like there needs to be balance. Um, and Well, we got to be that balance, so... <laughs> yeah, it's... A few other places, too, maybe. uh, A discussion for another time, I guess. Um, So anyways, this week, so Tuesday, um, so tomorrow or today, I guess, when this podcast goes live, a bunch of meetings. Tuesday's IDF, day one, um, Haswell's the big deal. So Intel went around, and and they did some, like, pre-briefs on really, really just a very high level with Haswell, right? And the one thing they said is, uh, so Haswell is the, uh, I guess, fourth-generation Intel core microarchitecture comes out next year uh the messaging thus far is the design is done it's looking good things are going ahead of schedule um it's still looking like it'll be a q2 2013 kind of thing um but the big news is so we know with haswell tdp's come down right so haswell as an architecture that sweet spot of haswell is targeted around let's say 15 to 25 watts Whereas today it's 35 to 45 watts, you know, basically what goes into a mainstream notebook. So the other data point that we got is Ultrabooks today, the MacBook Air, Ultrabooks, whatever, um, their TDP, their thermal design point target is 17 watts. With Haswell, that goes down to 10. Uh, So that was a bit of new news. Um, The other thing is we may see even lower TDPs, you know, below 10 watts uh, with Haswell which is really interesting because traditionally from Intel's standpoint, uh, it's, it's really only been Atom that competes in that, you know, single digit. Yeah. Watt like range. six or something or nine, whatever it was. Yeah. I think it maxed out at like eight and a half or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. That, so this, the, the 10 and 15 watt TDPs, is that dual core or quad core? Or are we talking, they should just quantize it by like, here's a single core maximum TDP. Right? Yeah. And lowest TDP. So, so if we, you know, all they really said was 17 watts goes down to 10. So 17 watts today is for dual core ultra low volt um, Ivy Bridge. So I'm guessing dual core ultra low volt Haswell will be 10 watts. Oh, okay, okay. Right, um, and and so that's really compelling because 10 watts is like borderline what you can fit into a third gen iPad chassis. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's um, that's an interesting discussion about the ipad yeah. <laughs> third generation um I, yeah it, it totally is right like that's a um the you know a5x is a beast of an soc right they they built it on 45 nanometer which from you know our perspective makes it a very hot soc from their perspective uh you know you have proven yields at 45 nanometer it's a cheap process and if you're building something that's bigger than dual core sandy bridge yeah, that's that's or dual core Ivy Ridge. That's you know exactly where you want to do it to incur like the minimum penalty. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. So so Haswell can now go into you know these iPadish form factors, and if we can get below ten watts, uh, then you can really start going head to head with you know an ARM based tablet, uh, but with you know your your best in class you know core based x eighty six design. Yeah, and it wouldn't be an atom. Hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, it's really interesting. I I I, I don't really know what this means for atom. Like I, I mean, I guess atom has to go even further down uh, in in power consumption. Um, I remember uh, someone at Intel once told me that, uh, you know, Haswell, 
Intel executives gave the design teams the go-ahead to, to do whatever it takes to kind of deal with the ARM problem, right? And the ARM problem being that once we get to Cortex-A15 and start going beyond that, that ARM wants to go up in the chain, right? They want to start getting into tablets and, you know, beefier tablets and notebooks and and start looking, you know, at, at some of the PC ecosystem as, as a target. Um, so the Intel execs kind of look at Haswell and say, all right, look, whatever you need, die size, resources, engineering, whatever it is, go build it and, and make this ARM thing not a problem any longer. Um, <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see. I feel like, like that, that, that solution, just like, just, just make the ARM, the ARM problem go away. Yeah, just like fix this, right? Like it's in clearly, a mission statement, yeah. It, it doesn't fix it going into the phone, but the hope here, you know, from Intel's standpoint is this prevents it from being a discussion in anything bigger than a phone or, you know, an iPad. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm really curious to see what happens. Um, I'm also curious to see what Apple does in light of all of this, yeah. right? Does, does Apple continue to, you know, if, if you can, if Intel makes a part that is significantly better than what you can get from, you know, uh, an ARM based SOC and it can fit into an iPad like device, what happens, right? Does Apple just say, Hey, this is clearly the better solution. We're going to do it and build something else entirely. Or I still think it... that's so far off. You know? <sighs> yeah. I don't know. Just it's... from a software point of view. I don't know. Just unifying those two. You mean, you know, having a, well, because if you write apps for the iPad and let's say the iPad magically <clears throat> had an AX86 SOC inside. Yeah. Then you still need to run those apps on the iPhone. Yes. And um, there's just no easy way to do that because, you know, iOS doesn't have that sort of, you know, luxury of being part virtualized, part, you know, native. It's like all native. So yeah, that's true. That's a problem. So, well, the other thing that Intel announced um, or, or kind of quietly mentioned is that uh, at the beginning of next year, they're going to do a special run, very limited edition uh, of 10 watt Ivy Bridge parts. So, Ooh. yeah, so these 10-watt Ivy Bridge parts are basically going to be, like, very, very limited edition. So this isn't going to be in, you know, anything that's going to ship in tons of volume. But for any OEM who wants to get a head start on building something that Haswell could go into, they can use one of these 10-watt Ivy Bridge parts to kind of get that experience and get the chassis done. Um, Ooh, bring that's it, cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super interesting. Um, and it really highlights this kind of other point with Intel that as it gets into Haswell, you're going to see much closer cooperation between Intel and the, the OEMs, similar to what Intel did with the first MacBook Air, right? That they worked very closely with Apple and, and kind of uh, pulled in this uh, ultra small form factor packaging for CPU and chipset um, and kind of only offered that to Apple. I, I think you're going to see that same close cooperation between Intel and Acer and Asus and all of these other guys um, to, to, to really just bring better products to market. Uh, I think Intel realizes that it can no longer just uh, build an SOC or build a CPU or build silicon and, and just sell it to people and, and have that be the end of the chain. Yeah. This thing also has Thunderbolt, right? Haswell also builds in Thunderbolt? Mm, I don't think it's integrated into the chipset. Um, huh. I think it's it's part of the platform, but it's it's I don't believe okay. it's integrated into the chip. I, it, it might actually. I, I I don't know. The the so Tuesday the big thing there is uh, we have um, hopefully full architecture disclosure of Haswell. Uh, 
Did you see? Are there any? Um, <clears throat> are there any more Light Peak related things or events at all? Um, like I'm the sure Thunderbolt that... in the optical sense. I don't know if they're still calling it Light Peak. Yeah, I, I'm sure there are Thunderbolt uh, sessions there. So IDF is, you know, there's uh, uh, just a bunch of sessions throughout the day that you know developers or whoever can go around and just learn about stuff. Um, it's it's honestly one of my favorite trade shows from the standpoint of just learning because you get the people that you know invented the standards or who worked on the architectures just sit there and tell you about them, which is really cool. Um, but honestly, I've I've been traveling around. I haven't had time to like flip through the agenda on it. Um, yeah, I wanted. I, I would. I'm interested in whether that, because you know, I think it was last one you were saying is when they, they said it'll make the switch this upcoming year, right? So yes, I would imagine they must have some sort of announcement. Oh yeah, they Maybe. usually have. Um, they have technical sessions on on anything that's relevant, right? Like so they'll, uh, they'll do stuff about GPUs. They'll do stuff about new cooling architectures you know that that's usually there i, I would be surprised if there wasn't something about uh about light peak or, or thunderbolt going on there um so that's on tuesday and then wednesday is the day of reckoning right that's that's the new <laughs> that's the day we figure out the how wrong day of reckoning as in everything is happening at once day yes well that's that's the day we find out that you know how wrong we've been about what soc is going in the new iphone oh, i don't want to think about it yeah this is the first time we've been like really public outside of like just people asking us on Twitter what yes. we think, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so we'll it's... see how much egg we get on our faces as a result. Exactly. Like I'm super nervous about it because like, again, I, I don't like making predictions. We're not fortune tellers, right? Like that's, yeah. uh, we, we analyze, run data and, and derive based on that. And, and we made a very bold, you know, hey, this is going to be. 32 nanometer A9s running at higher clocks, um, likely the same GPU running at higher clocks. Um, and you and said that you would be blown away if it was A15s. Yes. Like me too, because everybody keeps saying there's no way it can be this year or like maybe end of end of this year, like last couple days. Yeah. Or talks. I mean, the thing is like you can ship it today, but not in the sort of volume that you would need. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. So if Apple's able to do that, it means that they are ahead of TI and Samsung, and NTI was a launch partner on A15. Um, exactly. So, I mean, I, I do know that Apple hired one of the chief architects on A15, so, you know, there there's obviously value in that. Uh, but I, I don't know. It, it's... Uh, that That's the one thing that I think I'm most nervous about, just because I don't like... I don't like making predictions, and then I don't like being wrong about them when they're made, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, well, nobody likes being wrong. But yeah. at the same time, it's fun to play the game, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then there was that, that big audience announcement, right? That that's right, which was very intriguing because they didn't really... Um, <clears throat> they weren't super forthcoming about, you know, we, we don't know everything about the new iPhone, but we know that certain testing didn't take place, which tells us that... It's not going to be enabled. Yeah. And at so, the same so time, then you... they were like, "Oh, we developed a new, a new ear processor for them specifically, and met all our deliverables." But we never heard anything after that. So, can you explain real quick, like what audiences, what they do, and and sure. why all of this is relevant? So, I mean, obviously, we're talking about phones here. So, the quality of audio is a big, 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 big performance thing. And um, it's not just important because everybody wants to be able to understand the other party or be understood. It's also important because maximizing the silent gaps when I'm not speaking and um, in the other direction, too, is a huge part of the battery life savings 
So like that discontinuous Rx, if you know that you know I'm silent and I'm totally silent, and you have to get to totally silent, uh, then you cannot send any bits. You can turn off the power amplifier. Um, so you get a huge power savings. Because I mean, if you listen to like the, it's interesting for me because I've kind of listened to some of these podcasts without you know both of us speaking, and it's surprising how much time there is when I'm not speaking, and. Um, when you come to that realization, then you understand why these are important things to maximize. But so what audience does is they make um, they make some IP and some discrete ICs that uh, basically do noise rejection and um, you know suppression and also clean up clean up the noise, clean up the voice, uh, normalization. And there are just so many different techniques that everybody employs, um, and you see a variety of players in this space and uh, audience, their solution is somewhat novel and that they have a combination of feature extraction that they do. Um, so they have a machine learned model for what the voice sounds like and background noises that are common. And then they also use an array of microphones and do some sort of like common rejection. And of course they can also do this not just when the handset is held up to your face, but in the far field. So like if you're on speaker or if you're using a Bluetooth headset, so traditionally, Apple has been a big um, adopter of audience. Like the Nexus One was the first device that I saw that had on an audience ear processor. And then we saw it in the iPhone 4. There was a discrete solution. And then what happened in the A5 is they licensed the IP block from audience and built it into that SOC. So it, it sort of disappeared into that, you know, that's the floor plan there. And uh, that's where it's been ever since. And, you know, it's an interesting thing to talk about because only Apple sort of licensed it in that way. And Samsung also uses it, you know, in a bunch of different devices. HTC does too. Um, you know, and there are other players in this space too, like TI does some that they sell. Um, and that's in the One X uh, International and the Galaxy Nexus. And then Qualcomm does their own too with Fluence. And everybody has different techniques. There are some that, you know, use a bunch of microphones and you can, based on the you know, you can do things in the time domain and the frequency domain. Again, audience's solution works in the frequency domain. Others work in the time domain. So like if there's a certain amount of time delay between when noise is reaching you versus when voice is reaching your microphones, you can sort of suppress the, uh, the noise that way. And those are, you know, like Qualcomm does like blind source detection. TI does like a combination of that. And, uh, you know, just things that are common. So anyways, the news like last week on um, the 6th was that <clears throat> audience made this kind of rather sudden investor news push that said, hey, um, we're going to need to revise our earnings expectations because we've learned that uh, we're not going to be enabled in the, this major OEM of ours, this major customer and their upcoming phone. So, I mean, obviously you can... You can read into it that that's Apple. And then on the call, they, they sort of named Apple directly, which is a little bit surprising. And um, so they said, we're not going to be enabled. And it was it's a little bit vague still whether they're talking about we were included in the die or we weren't included in the, in the product or whether it's enabled or not enabled. Um, and you can sort of read into that, you know, read into whether you're included or not in the floor plan and guess whether it's going to be an A5X derivative, which is what I was trying to get at. Um, so obviously, if you're not included in, in the SOC, then it's obviously not an A5 you know, derivative. 
um, because the A5 was the first that integrated the audience IP directly. Um, but at the same, it's really not clear to me anymore whether they said we are included, but we're not enabled so that we don't get a royalty paid out or we are included, but it's, you know, but it, it, we aren't included. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's, you can sort of get it. You can sort of guess at it. At the time, I was sort of confident that this meant that it wasn't an A5, um, but now I'm not as confident because you could have just turned it off. Yeah. But well, I mean, and the other the other thing is that audiences had really good performance, and the other you know this is something that carriers stipulate when you're going to be a subsidized device. You need to meet a certain level of um, there are some standards that it's like MOS, uh, and there are objective measures. There's some that are objective and some that are like blind testing. And you need to meet a certain standard for voice quality to get sold. And I guess AT&T standards are like the highest in the world for some reason. Like this is the one thing they care strongly about, you know, <laughs> which is a bit odd to me because when I look at the air interface side, they're just like, yeah, we're never going to enable 64 qualm. Like just forget it. So, <laughs> you know, um, this is important because obviously it, it signals that Apple feels pretty confident in their own ability and their own, you know, audio team. They've amassed an audio team over a lot of time, you know, but at the same time, there's this move to vertically integrate. And you made a great point about this is all about cost, perhaps. And I think that's, I mean, wh- th- that's your argument. I think it's probably the right one. Um, and that didn't occur to me to a while later that this is just about we don't want to pay a royalty. Yeah. If we, we don't have to, and it's good enough. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we'll see. I mean, we're going to run our test. We do, we've been doing our noise reduction test for a long time. And um, it's really quite shocking how good the voice suppression technology is like when I'm running those tests and those call the little samples on SoundCloud. Yeah. It is literally so loud that I cannot hear myself talking at all. (laughs) Like at the point where I say, I can't hear myself talk. It's like, I need to, like I have a sound meter and um, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but I always ramp up to it and it is so loud. Like I'm sitting in front of those Asus, like, I mean, um, I'm sorry, Antec sound science speakers. Yes. Yeah. And those those go really loud before distorting. So I'm like at like eighty percent max on there, <laughs> playing like um, I play Covenant. I have this the specific song that I play. Like it's from um, Lightbringer, that album, and it is so loud and it's it's amazing because you can't hear it at all. So I mean we'll see what Apple does, but this is this is an important thing with all the voice recognition stuff that's going on, for improving battery life for being something that's a differentiator. And it's kind of bad for audience because they just went IPO like a couple months ago, like what, three months ago? So um, I don't know. I'm curious to hear more about what your point was. The uh, Oh, I'm sorry. It's Modern Ruin is the album that I play, Lightbringer. <laughs> I had to look it up. No, yeah. it's it's really interesting. One because you know the the implications are or the ramifications of it are, are huge, right? If it's indeed that the IP is just not present on the die, right? Then it means that it, it is an all all new die. And and if you do an all new die, well, what do you integrate? Like what CPU cores? What GPU cores? Exactly. Um, yeah. Or if it's the other implement, uh, the other interpretation, which is that the stuff is there. It's just not. It's just not enabled, right? It's not used, and and there's this other stuff that Apple's kind of baked into it that's used instead. Um, I suspect we we won't really know how good the solution is until you know 
uh, a week later or whatever, whenever the phone's available, we can actually start doing real tests on it. Yeah, or run a test call there. But I mean, it's so impossible when you're demoing these things to know anything. Exactly. <clears throat> um, you know what else is interesting, too, is that remember Apple um, and the Retina MacBook Pro, they made a big deal about their own noise suppression thing. Do you remember that? I don't yes. know if we, we talked about And that that's, um, again, just a beamforming technique. They have two microphones and it works in the time domain. So you, you make like a cone of, um, you know, like a region that's a cone that's going to get accepted into your, um, what's, you know, like what's voice as opposed to what's noise. Yes. So we'll see. I you know, like you can draw parallels. Are they going to use that? You know, like they've built their own team. Are they going to use that in the iPhone? Is it going to be a beamforming thing? Is it going to be you know, like we just ripped off audience? You oh, know? you know, actually, this reminds me of something that I don't know we even published, or I don't even know if Nokia actually confirmed this or not. Um, but I was talking to uh, uh, Jason over at Nokia um, mm -hmm. at the event, and he mentioned that the 920 has four mics that they use. Oh, that's probably the Fluence solution then. Yeah. And when you see a ton of mics, usually that's the Fluence solution, 8960. And um, that's I, a bit surprising I, because, uh, you know, like, you know, the 1XL also has the Fluence IP built in, but they've gone with ears, you know, an EarSmart thing to meet the AT&T, you know, regulations. So maybe it's gotten better. I'm That's not weird. sure. That's weird. The 920 has that many mics because they can't even do stereo. Like it's not, it's not even pure, pure vision or pure view uh, stereo. Like it's mono. Oh, weird. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, that was just unusual to me because, um, uh, and, and, you know, it's obviously it, it could always be wrong. Like the information could just be inaccurate, but, um, that, that's no, what I, I was told. No, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Yeah. Um, okay. So my voice is about to die completely. Um, I think this was a, uh, good discussion in advance of what's going to happen this week. Um, and then we can, uh, we can recap it all for, for next week's show as well. Um, yeah, that'll be interesting. <laughs> and, and we didn't touch on any of the Amazon stuff, so we'll, we'll save that to next week as well. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Well, Brian, I will see you out here in a couple days. And yep. Uh, yep. thank you all for listening, and we'll be back in about a week. See you guys.